0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Jen Hatmaker book club podcast. And if you're listening to this on our regular for the love podcast feed, welcome. This is a sneak peek into the fantastic, fantastic fun. We have behind the scenes at the Jen Hatmaker book club, which please, please join us over at Gin Hatmaker club.com. We would love to have you in this community. Oh my goodness. Like this interview is exactly why it's no surprise who we have. Obviously my really good friend, Kelly Corrigan, who I just adore. You're going to love this conversation, by the way, you're going to see why she's so special. Um, I'm happy that you're getting to hear her voice and hear her talk through the book a little bit and how she wrote it and why she wrote it and she talks about some stuff she left out um, and how that's gonna turn into its own content. Um, you know Kelly is was my partner in crime in a recent tour. We were on the Tell Me more tour together and we had a blast. Um, I just really like her just in case you didn't already know this like Kelly is a deal. Um, she's was called The Voice of Her Generation by Oprah Magazine and The Poet Laureate of the Ordinary by HuffPost. And um, every single book she's written, there's four of them, Middle Place, Lift, Glitter and Glue, and Tell Me More is the fourth, have been New York Times bestsellers. So Kelly lives right by Oakland, California, with her husband Edward from Arkansas. And her daughters um, Georgia and Claire, and so I asked her a bunch of your questions over the course of this interview. I told her a lot of the things that we've been talking about in our Facebook group, and um, she was she's just the greatest. And so I think you're gonna love this. Com- whatever you thought of the book, you're gonna enjoy this conversation. You're gonna enjoy hearing from her, um, and I'm so so pleased to welcome Kelly to the Jen Hatmaker Book Club podcast. So here we go. Okay, hi friend.
1: Hi, how are you? you? I miss you. Same. Let's run around out there together.
0: What are we doing? doing? Um, You just had a graduation.
1: I did and it was amazing. Was it amazing? It was amazing. It was one of my most amazing weekends as a parent for sure. And um there were just so many nice surprises, uh, most of which were on the order of, like, there's so many people who love my kid. You know, like, all these other moms were coming and saying, oh, God, I'll never forget when Georgia got that goal. She was, like, she would just fallen on the ground, and she flicked it up into the net. And then this teacher who was so hard on her but loves her so much and is, like, blown away by her science abilities just threw her arms around me, and we both started bawling. And so – like to the idea that there are adults in the world who have observed your kid and loved your kid is so powerful, so that was, that was the heart of it, and then, you know she was really emotional, which you know, I like that in a lady, sure, and uh, yeah, and then she did really well, and we this just it was just so fun
0: did you feel emotional like how did you how do you do in those kind of moments?
1: A lot of crying Jen
0: yeah, That's of, what I was getting <laughs> at. it's weird they just come those tears
1: yeah i mean so it got it got funny at one point right <laughs> i thought i was crying like you know like you would cry at a at a death or something and <laughs> i had i had to reel it back in a little bit cuz i could feel my face like uh-huh. you know was a, perhaps a little over dramatic and <laughs> you know like in a, in a situation where there's that many people, you know, a couple hundred people who are more or less my age, there's always somebody who comes up and says, Oh, I love your books, blah, blah, blah. And then you you forget. And then you become aware that like, there are people in that room who might be aware of you and your professional life who might glance over at you when you're just splitting into pieces. (laughs) Like My face was like, I mean, I was going in 14 different directions. So. Yeah,
0: it's hard to, you know, you know, you know that you're going to your kid's graduation, you know, that has feelings around it. You know, it's, you know, all the sort of stereotypical things this is the end of a, this chapter's closing and other, all the things. But it is hard to put a finger on how it actually plays out the Mm -hmm. amount of images that start running through your brain just that kid as a kindergartner and and then of course all these other kids that you know so well like Mm -hmm. his or her friends and peers and their parents I mean it's just a whole deal it has this sense to me I've graduated two kids now like look at us we're like a whole community and we graduated all these kids look what we did it's just it's pride and it's it's weirdly sad i know we're not supposed to say that but there's something a little bit sad about it because it's just Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. that part anyway but anyway i was watching you and i thought look it's a big deal and you got another one right behind her really
1: Yep, yeah she'll be a junior so i have two more years and boy if she thought i was clingy before (laughs) now that i now that i've seen that thing go down i'm just like hey hey how you doing you want to go get frozen yogurt? I'm like, give me your mom a hug.
0: Like, Both my kids went away to college. And so when they would come home, I mean, it was, I was just like a stage five clinger. I yeah. just couldn't, I couldn't ratchet it down. I couldn't do it. Like, yeah. I just. They call be...
1: me smother instead of mother. <laughs>
0: so right. I just come in and sit on the foot of their bed. Like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> What's she doing?
1: Your weird <laughs> smile. Like, you know, that weird smile. Where you're, like Totally, feeling your feelings even in the absence of any kind right. of stimulus. You're like coming. Right. it's like a Tuesday. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into tell me more because it's so sure. fun. I wish you could have like I wish your eyes could peep into our um, our book club community, which is just growing by the day. It's big and see all the conversations around this guy. I mean, it is. It is robust. It is oh, cool. every day. Anyway, it's just been great. I want to talk to you a little bit about the book. You and I have talked about this a million times. But uh, you have a, a pretty a big, healthy community of first-time readers with mm-hmm. this one. Cool. And so they're like, Kelly, okay. <laughs> Several of them, lots, have gone back and got your older books too. And so um, will you just talk for a minute to my crew about – the genesis of tell me more and how it sort of came about and uh, what, what was the inspiration behind kind of this, this structure?
1: Sure, sure, sure. So, you know, I had this year where early in the year my father died, which was totally fair. He was almost 85 years old and it was a really, a perfect exit Uh, and then later that year, my friend Liz died and she was only 46 and she had three kids. They were uh, eight, 10 and 12. And, um, you know, that will really, uh, make you wonder like if you really deserve to be here Mm. and, and it also makes it crystal clear that only thing, one thing matters and it's how we connect to other people. And, And, So then if that's the case, if it really is, if it really does just come down to these relationships, mostly the long-term or even permanent relationships, then it's sort of fun to imagine, like, what does that require? Mm -hmm. Like, what uh, what do adult relationships require us to be able to say to one another and to say to ourselves? Um, And so that was part of the context. And then this very specific thing happened, which, which really got me wondering about exact words, which is my husband and I were debating the difference between saying, I'm sorry and saying I was wrong. I'm wrong. And, um, you know, my husband is a man. So he yeah. thought that saying I'm sorry was perfectly sufficient. Mm. Uh, and, and then I just was really dug in about how much humility is baked into the idea yeah. of saying I was wrong. And then what's come to me later though, over the course of book tour and talking to people about it is a thing that saying I was wrong, for instance, uh, does is it aligns both parties to a shared opinion about right and wrong. Hmm. Cause it's saying like you, if, if you do something and I'm waiting and you say, I'm sorry. That's like level one, level two, is you say, I was wrong. And what that means to me is that you agree with my assessment of -hmm. the situation. You're sort of Mm -hmm. seeing it the way I'm seeing it. And we're going to agree in general that that thing, whatever that thing was that you Mm -hmm. did is wrong with us, like in our Mm -hmm. shared moral code, that's wrong. So I'm not going to do it to you and you're not going to do it to me. And, and Mm -hmm. there's a, like a, a realignment there that Is very freeing. It allows you to like move forward into the next beat of your relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So that just that debate got me wondering, like, what do you think? I thought the question was, what are the five most important sentences Mm -hmm. in the English language? Mm -hmm. And so I started sniffing around for that, and that grew and grew, and then there were seventeen, and then there Um, I was trying to push it back to nine, and then I was sort of like, why? You know, just let it be what it wants to be. Uh, And so then we ended up with twelve. Yeah. What were a couple that were on the cutting room floor?
0: I didn't know you got up to 17. Do you remember? Or did they roll
1: into another one? Well, a huge, 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 in fact, so huge that it had to be cut off and made its own thing, which is what will happen next for me in terms of publishing, is that I was, one of the sentences I think we need to be able to say in adult relationships is, you can go. Uh, And uh, so I was writing a lot because i had was had been writing at the time when my dad was dying yeah. and that section got very large and so much so that one friend who had was an early reader for me said this is like my favorite love story that i've ever read and it's all i want to talk about mm-hmm. and i thought she's right that's the only thing people are going to want to talk about and then yeah. the, all the rest will have been this kind of weird um, disposable content (laughs) that does deserve its own time and attention. And so then I separated that off and that's sort of what I'm working on right now, which is very, very slow going. And I finally put my finger on why, which is that I don't know if I really want to write this book, if I can't give it to him and I can't give it to him. Oh man. Yeah. I I almost was realizing on a train ride last week that I think maybe every book was written for someone very specific, and that this this image in my mind of handing the book to my dad, handing the book to my cousin Kathy, handing the book to my mom, handing the book to Andy and his children, that Liz's family is becomes incredibly motivating, mm. and I don't know who to hand this. This story, too, and it's so sad to think about. And it, you know, I cry every single time I cry when I'm working on it. That's like a lot of crying. It's like yeah, it standing is. up for a lot of crying and it a lot sure of feeling. And so it's hard to go in there, you know?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's just a sincere labor of love. Um, yeah. And having to just go that deep well, really all the whole entire time, there's no relief in it. Mm-mm. Um, is that's really slow work. Have you given yourself as long as you need to do it? Do you have that sort of agreement?
1: Maybe, you know, what's funny about that is that when I, right after he died, like, so he died in the middle of toward the end of February and that spring, I had written so much in those two weeks. And then I wrote in the weeks following and, So I probably probably had 140 pages of just super raw stuff. And I said to my agent, um, you know, I want to I want to publish this now. And she said, I think you should wait and see what you learn over time. I think it'll make it like a richer, more useful book. And that seemed reasonable to me. But. Honestly, when I look back, I think, oh, I should have done it when I wanted to do it, when it was on fire for me, because the I don't actually have such um, insight about grief that I can offer up to the world. The yeah. only thing I can offer is like, I know, like now yeah. I know I have yeah. locked it. And I can tell you this story in detail and I don't know what to make of it. And maybe we'll decide together that, you know, it is what it is. And there isn't any, anything to layer on top of it, any Mm. kind of, and so then, Uh and to me, and I don't know, I mean, it'd be very interesting to hear from your book club after they listen to this. I would love to know, is that enough? Mm. Because for me when he was dying, all I wanted in the world was more people to tell me the detailed version of how their person died. I wanted as mm-hmm. much information and as many narratives as I could get my hands on. And so for me, if I were to read the book as it's written right now, that would be enough for me because all I want to know mm-hmm. is like how did it go for you? It's a yeah. little bit like hearing people's sto- uh, labor and delivery stories. Right. Oh, great. I hear those, Uh, you know, like when you're pregnant, Mm. you're kind of endlessly interested Mm. in the variety of ways that it might go. Mm. And when someone who's so dear to you and so irreplaceable is dying, I feel like people would want to read like just a totally, um, unguarded account of how it went for just one other person. I'm just one reader of yours.
0: Um, so I can't pretend to know what everybody else wants, but to me, that is your very, that's your special and rare gift. Um, you've never, um, resorted to the low hanging fruit of, um, easy answers or something tied up and now, and here's the conclusion, um, yeah. or the, the thing that now we know as a prescription for the next time is this. That's just not the way that you. Le- that's not the way you ride. It's mm-hmm. not the way you process. And it would it would be shocking to me if you did. Mm-hmm. I I would find that jarring from the way that I experience your work and um and your life. And so I think your instincts are right. And I think that's enough. I mm-hmm. think that's enough to just be inside of it and tell it true. Mm-hmm. Not tell it prescriptive that's mm-hmm. just great you know that's not real there is no mm-hmm. you can't prescribe your way through grief you know mm-hmm. sometimes we get the finished product and mm-hmm. we read it in a six hour span
1: and then we go to this grocery
0: store and put dinner and just mm-hmm. go on so i appreciate you talking about sometimes the cost of being a writer mm-hmm. not, and a writer who tells the truth and about our own life and story and so thanks for talking about that a little bit Discovering the story of your family, it matters. And there are many paths to finding your family's story. Whichever way you choose, whether you trace your family generations back with a family tree, or uncover your ethnicity with ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with ancestry. So an ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover your family's personal story. It's crazy how much information you can find. You might discover you're related to someone famous in history, or you might find a photo of your great-great-grandmother and see you have her eyes. Obviously, family is everything to me. And when I took my own ancestry DNA test, I found out that most of my ancestors are from the UK and I had no idea. Start exploring your family story today. So head to my URL at ancestry.com slash for the love to get your ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. Okay. So that's ancestry.com slash for the love. Okay. Back to our show. So if you were going back to tell me more, if you were thinking through like maybe the hardest chapter to the right and the easiest chapter to write, mm. would it have been the one that you pulled? Would that have been the hardest one that you said this is, needs to be its own content or within the ones that you kept? Was there another one where you were like, woo I had to slog through that one or well,
1: it was kind of like it? the hardest and the easiest ended up being the same one, which is onward. Oh, so yeah. that's what my readers are saying. Oh, really? It's uh, hitting everybody in the gut. Well, so it was completely different. So I have this friend, uh, his name's Jim Morrison, and he is uh, extraordinarily open and insightful and sort of generous. And he lost his wife and both his children in a car, in a plane accident. Gosh. And so, and, and, he's kind of drawn to me and I was kind of drawn to him. And so I was telling his story. So onward used to be like the Jim Morrison story, which mm-hmm. is also not unlike you can go, which is to say probably deserves to be its own thing. It's mm-hmm. probably over going to overshadow everything else in here. But the th- my friend Arielle, who I write about a lot in the book, who's a therapist and also just a wise woman who I spend a lot of time with, she was an early reader for me. And she said, I loved reading it. I was fascinated by it, but it's a reported story mm-hmm. inside a memoir.
0: Yeah.
1: I wasn't there. I didn't know him until after. I never mm-hmm. met him. And she said, if you had like somehow lived through it with him, then it would feel more of a piece with the rest of the stories which yeah. are all things that I either experienced Experience, with right. the person who was experiencing it, when they were experiencing it. Hmm. And so I worked really long and hard on that Jim Morrison story because I love him so much and I wanted it to be right for him. And, you know, it's a delicate, delicate matter. And, sure. And then when she said that, I thought, oh, she's right. I should take it out and do something else with it maybe someday or maybe just give it to him and let him have it. Or I don't know what. And I haven't really done anything with it. I mean, you have given it to him. Um, and then it was this hole. And then the, because of the way Arielle put it, that like it, it doesn't have to be a story about you, that you have to have been there. You have uh-huh. to have talked with the person. Then it was like, oh my God, I can't believe it took me so long to see that, of course, yeah, onward should be a letter to Liz about her husband and her children and yeah. how they are moving forward. And then the whole thing came out in a single sitting, which you can totally it really, but you wow. can feel it, right? Like yeah. there's nothing, there's no break. It's kind of breathless. Yeah. It's not organized in a way that, you know, it's very organic and fluid and And, um, you know, sometimes when you stop and start inside something, a chapter or a story, it can get kind of Frankenstein-y where you, you know, because your moods really affect your language and your sentence structure and the length of your sentences. And whether you're reading something poetic that day, whether you're listening to, like, Patty Griffin or Bruce Springsteen, like, you know, it can be more muscular or more emotional. And so it's not good to write a a single story in multiple sittings because of that mood thing is really problematic. And that onward, the way it is, is just exactly how it came out. And then I Mm. sent it to Liz's very best friend, Jessica, and I sent it to Andy and they each had like two tiny things. Like Andy is so, her husband is so um, literal Mm. that, Mm. He, I had said something like uh, some spice that was in the beet juice that he was making with the kids that I was just like in the corner watching him like, I cannot believe you're making juice right now. <laughs> that drove you crazy when Liz got out that huge thing and just started like pushing oh, yeah. the carrots through. Yeah. And then I had said like cardamom or something. And he was like, we don't use cardamom. And I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> okay good catch. Um, that would be dreadful if that right. were in there. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was the the hardest and the easiest and the best. Uh, for, sure it's yeah. the, for sure, it's the best writing in the whole thing because it's not even like writing. It's like, uh, you know, it's like tapping a vein or something. Just yeah,
0: absolutely. You know. That's how we experience it as a reader, for sure. Like that is... Um, Boy, that's just your heart on a page. No no question about it. Um, So
1: obviously. I must say, like Andy is such a rich and fascinating character. I mean, I'm I'm almost of the mind that just about everyone is. Mm -hmm. And our only loss is that we only, we know so few people very, very well. Like well enough to see what a rich and um, fascinating character each of us is. But we know, Edward and I know Andy. Like, he's like, we're brothers and sisters together. And so he, the things he was doing and is still doing in the wake of losing her, you know, you don't need any ornamentation. That's right. It's just like a litany. And, and you know, like the, the thing you mentioned um, about that, Huge metaphor that he used in her eulogy to talk about how the kids were in the spaceship and they yeah. were stuck in outer space, that they could hear us like calling from Earth to see if they were okay, but we couldn't be in the spaceship with them. Yeah. And they had to use her force, like she's the force of the moon, yeah. to, like turn the corner and come back. And that they were trying to come back and they hoped to come back and they planned to come back. Yeah. And you know, of course you have to have that in there. And then I thought, I wonder if Andy, I mean, I I didn't have like a super strong instinct there, whether he would want that shared Mm. or not, because I shared it. If you haven't gotten there yet, I shared it in its entirety. I just took the whole thing from his word doc. And he said, uh, I said, I want to put this in and I want to tell you why I want to like fight to put this in because, I do feel that it's going to be incredibly useful. I had not until that moment heard something, a description of grief Mm -hmm. that was as useful to me. And everyone, the whole, I mean, there were 700 people there listening and nodding Mm and it's so grateful to have it explained in a way that they could internalize it maybe for the first time in their lives, like what the difference is between the mourning family and the the outer ring of mourners Yeah, and, um, so I had this long explanation, you know, because sure. I'm wanting to do. This and, is your uh, pitch. Uh-huh. And then he said, stop, stop, stop. Like, I would be so stoked if he you did. put that in there. And I was like, oh. all right, surfer. I'm oh, happy you told you us that. Sto-? And he said stoked. I'm like, you're going to be stoked? Okay. He's <laughs> from California. If I can make you stoked about something, I that makes me really happy.
0: I'm so happy he um, felt that way. It's such a powerful piece of the whole, not just the whole book, but the whole story. And I can, almost can't imagine it without it. I really can't. Yeah. Like, I, I held my breath the first time I, I read know. it. I don't think I breathed. I don't think I breathed one breath until I got to the end of his bit of writing. And I've just never heard anybody say it like that before, right. ever. And like right. you, I've been around death a lot. And it just, it put some like, some flesh on it in a way that I'll, I just—you can't forget it ever. This is what people yeah. are also saying. The club right now, they're like, "I'll never ever forget that." I—that is embedded now in my yeah. my memory and my ideas, and it does. It, it throws out a little bit of a a soft place to land for people who are grieving and need something. Just any a sentence even give me one mm-hmm. sentence that can help me mm-hmm. hang on for another day or imagine a day in the future and I think that's what that did give him our
1: gratitude we are grateful readers that he shared that with us well um, we did a couple of readings together where he uh, stood up and delivered it what and, uh, oh I just got
0: goosebumps
1: amazing yeah. and even that I was like you know i you just don't know I mean you know this from writing about real people and real experiences that it's very difficult to predict what people will or will not. And so I said to him, you know, this is, this might be really crazy, but I am doing all these readings in Southern California and, and, and he's like, oh, I'm definitely coming. And I was like, oh, I know. I just wondered if you, you know, would get up and read that. And he was like, I would love to. Wow. Gosh. Okay, hey, so he's just like that. Well, I do think, I know from my cousin Kathy who lost her son Aaron, which I wrote about in the previous book called Lift, that a huge, huge point of suffering is when their name stops being said in the world and that there is this terrific desire to like keep them in the conversation. And so maybe that's what felt so good about saying all that for Andy was to... Celebrate her because the whole metaphor, like she's the thing that's going to allow them to get off the spaceship and back to Earth. Like yeah. it, and he gives her, of course, like all the credit for teaching them how to do this, like preparing them for this journey and giving them the, the skills and the connection to each other to make it.
0: Mm. and she did um one one question i have for you that a lot of um the readers kind of said asked this in one way or another is um, because you do such a masterful job of of walking us through these very personal storylines there it's you it's your mind and heart it's your marriage it's your it's your kids and your family, it's your work and your failures and your shoplifting and all the great things. (laughs) Um, And so I'm curious how you would talk about what's your, what's your system here to manage this content with the people in your life?
1: Well, um, I definitely feel like there's stuff I can't talk about that I think would be really useful to talk about. And it has birthed, this thought in me that in some ways, like when a thing like that comes up, like if there's a terrible fight or there's something about sex or there's something about a kid that there's just no way that I'm going to put them out there like that, I think, oh, that's why fiction exists.
0: Uh, there there sure is thought. a
1: line. Yeah. And so we have to make up stories so that we can talk about the the, the exact thing Yeah, that uh, is going unspoken between us. And that makes me think that in a way, fiction is more true than nonfiction. Um, Mm. I mean, it's scrambled Mm
0: -hmm.
1: non like fiction is scrambled nonfiction. Mm. In other words, let's say our family has this interaction and it all turns way worse than I would want to put on the page.
0: Right. Right.
1: So then if I were to fictionalize it, I might like um, divide it up and redistribute the lines and the features and the personality traits and the hang-ups to to different characters, and then serve it back. But the the value would still be there in terms of like communicating this very true yeah life interaction. Um, so I do I feel very limited actually in what I. Can do. The only thing that opens up the wi- window is time. So mm, there exactly.
0: is,
1: you know, George is going to go to college next year. Huh. So there's some things that w- when she was in ninth grade, I wouldn't have written about it and published it when she was in 10th grade. But if I publish it when she's a sophomore in college, is she going to care about the story from ninth grade? Probably not. Yeah. But, uh, you know, my mom wouldn't have wanted me to tell the whole world that I got caught shoplifting at Sears. Except you know, I was fifty when I told the whole world that, and that's happened right. when I was fifteen. That's a great so point. Time creates potential to tell certain stories, um, but even still, there are stories that you just can't—you just can't tell. You can. you know?
0: Yeah, I know. It's it's interesting as a writer, also, who I have a lot of things that have stayed in the vault. Out of obviously, they're just they just should. That's appropriate. It's necessary, but. As we hit these moments in our family, so, and most of these are around a kid, but not all of them are. And I just thought, oh, gosh, why aren't, this is lonely, Mm. and this is scary, and I don't, there's not enough people talking about this out there. Like, I feel alone in this, and then I realized, oh, we just can't. Some of us just can't. We don't have permission to talk about these really fragile things inside of our families in a public way. And so it kind of creates a gap in the world um, Mm -hmm. for where where can we turn? And again, to your point, it tends to be the ones who have it so far in the rearview mirror that they have permission um, to then speak of it.
1: Or there are people There are people who do what we do who are completely willing to blow up their whole family, oh, and true. they've broken all their ties, and they are completely free of tongue. That's true. And I, I sometimes crave them, but then I don't actually relate to them in a way because it's like, oh, well, you're post-relationship. You can yeah. say whatever you want because you and that person do not speak right point, but I don't want to be post relationship. I want to be in the relationship, but I do want to say like, you know, this is a relentlessly difficult thing that I'm living. I I think it would be incredibly useful to put it out there and it's just not possible.
0: Yeah. Um, exactly. Right.
1: Um,
0: in, in it's like this chapter Mm. you wrote, you said accepting things as they are is difficult. A lot of people go to war with reality because being in our lives as they are is probably one of the most common struggles people have. Uh, That hit me really hard that that was hard to read and hard. It was just too close. It was Mm. too, it was so diagnostic Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. uh, and and not in a way Mm -hmm. that I wanted to. I didn't want you to read my mail. Um, (laughs) So I'm curious I would just like to hear you talk about that idea a little bit and why this is such a, why is this such a struggle for us? Because this is very identifiable when you wrote through that. And I mean, I am a, just by nature, constantly thinking about how to make things better. Always Uh like what can, what what can we add to the equation? How can we improve this situation? So this like being in our lives as they are is it's, it's weirdly hard.
1: It shouldn't be, and yet it is, I know I'm not very good at it. There's something, but I think I don't know. I listen to a lot of um like neurobiologists podcasts, like I'm always wondering if about our animal selves and how that's uh-huh. affecting the way we're receiving the world, and what is our biological nature mm-hmm. and you know, and like what would have been in our favor evolutionarily speaking. And, and then maybe that's why the machine does what the machine does, but there's, there is this idea of, um, civic uplift. Uh So it's this thing that is common in journalism, which is to say that to put on the page, like flat out with no kind of bump at the end, the truth about the Vietnam war or, uh, the Mm. inner workings of the FBI or, um, you know, Supreme court nominations or whatever. Uh, and and to lay it flat out there for people would just be too devastating to like say it as it is without any kind of, uh, lift at the end. Mm. And so the people like publishers are encouraging journalists to offer some civic uplift Mm. that we don't lose hope. And I think that's so interesting because I think it plays out in people's personal lives too. Like, I think we want, I think the machine wants to hope. And so the machine wants to, Mm -hmm. um, like, scan for little hopeful signs Mm -hmm. and pull them forward in the tapestry, you know, like make Mm -hmm. those colors, those threads more vibrant. And that's, and then that sets up this inevitable disappointment. Wow. when that fails to carry the day let's say oh, that that little hopeful moment but this but so the accepting thing which is what i was trying to get at with it's like this is it's it's a super meta chapter in my uh. head because it's not um oh it's like this some days are good and some days are bad it's it's like this that you will forget over and over and over again that some days are bad and they will keep hitting mm. you as if it's the first bad day you've ever experienced That's And right. it's like this, like this is how the machine works and good. the machine needs what the machine needs. And it needs oh, to God. believe that you are not going to repeat something. You're not going to right. fight for 10 years. That's your kid's right. not going to trip over the same rock at every stage of their life. You're not going to cycle with your brother the same way, you know, that things will evolve, but mm. they don't always Uh or even often and, but it's like this, that we, that we forget that, like the forgetting is is what it's like. That's what, that's why I think we, it's so hard to accept our lives as they are because I don't think we're supposed to. I I think we're supposed to believe that things are trending in a positive direction. Yeah. I mean, that
0: it bends. We're we're slow learners on this.
1: Yeah. We're stubborn. Why won't it stick? Because it's intolerable. Well, it would be intolerable, per the civic uplift idea, it would be intolerable to think that the moral arc of the universe doesn't bend towards justice. That would be a horrific thought.
0: Do you remember earlier this year when I put out a book called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire? In that book, I. Literally put everything I've learned about integrity at the halfway mark of my life. And hopefully it has been a roadmap for my sisters. So a few weeks ago, I realized I hadn't spoken about fierce in months. What did I write before my life changed so much this summer? What did I promise while I was living a different story? So I went back and I read some of it. Frankly, I read almost all of it. And I have good news. It all holds up. Turns out those words are true in and out of suffering. And God is the same too, by the way. Because becoming fierce and free and full of fire is the reward of a human life, not just a happy life. There's a section in the chapter called, I want to choose my yeses about being free, which is exactly the way I want to live my life, you guys. It is one of the reasons I asked my team to design a collection around the word free. I'm really dialed into that concept right now with like hats and shirts and more to come, frankly. And it's the perfect complement to the Fierce collection that I know you're already loving. I see you with all your Fierce hats and mugs everywhere. I love it. I realize some of us probably resonate more with the word free than Fierce right now. That's me. Because, you know, 2020 but listen, I, I want the right types of yeses to rule my life. And I am going to give myself the power to say yes to the things that bring me life and joy and freedom. So be free, my dears, be free. If you want a daily reminder that you have the power to be free, you can take a look at the full collection at ginhatmaker.com slash shop. Okay, guys, back to our show. I like that you started the book with that. I did see a couple of questions like that asked, why did uh, you obviously ordered your book intentionally? Why did you pick that as the lead chapter?
1: Because I think I thought one thing that's very difficult for somebody who writes memoir more than once is that you have to introduce yourself and your family every time as if they never read you. Uh And so I had to, start with something that set up like, this is my house. This is how we live. This is who lives here. This is what the kind of general dynamic is around here. And so that took me to, it's like this. Um, That's like such a pain because you have to describe your children every time you describe your husband and you feel like, Oh God help the loyal reader. Who's like, I know Edward, like, you don't need (laughs) to tell me that he's from (laughs) Arkansas. Like duh. Uh, But, you know, so every time I hand in a draft, I'm like, we got to show this to somebody at Random House who's never read anything I've written in case I forgot to put it on the page because I'm so familiar with it.
0: Um, we had sort of an internal discussion around what we thought we should call your genre, because it's definitely memoirish, but kind of not. It's also sort of instructive and it doesn't, it meanders. It's not a, it's not a through line memoir. It's not mm-hmm. chronological. It's not linear necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so we came up, we invented at least two dozen categories. Excellent.
1: Excellent. I think
0: we, we, somebody, I think maybe I called it, um, what did I call it? Like a narrative memoir. It's that's invented. I uh, literally make that up. I don't even think it has meaning. So um, uh,
1: when the middle place came out, uh, which is the first book about me, my dad and I had cancer at the same time. um, It got put in, at Barnes and no, no borders. Remember borders books? Oh, I do. Yeah. So at borders, they didn't have a memoir section at the time. This was 10 years ago or 11 years ago. And so they put it in a section called medical narrative. And it was next to like the zone diet.
0: Oh, and no. this
1: made my mother crazy. It was up on the <laughs> second floor near the bathroom. There was like one toilet in oh, yeah, So yeah. she would stop by twice a week, go, hello, go up the stairs, take my four copies, go down by the cash register and put them in her different displays, stick them right on top of Susie Orman's book on the bestseller <laughs> list. Put them totally. near the Altoids. Like whatever she thought would sell that day. But she moved the books twice a week.
0: Oh my. Now that is endearing.
1: Because she didn't I, like the category. Well, who
0: would like medical narrative? What does I that even mean? I honest to
1: God. That's that a
0: really bad label. Maybe that's um, why they won? I told the... <laughs> it had to have been at least one factor. Um, thought- I t- they should have tried harder. Yep. I told the girls in the book club that what's fun about ever being with you in person is that, and you obviously talk about your mom so much, but that anytime you, you go into something your mom said that you lapse into your own Mary Corrigan impression. And that's how you do it. You don't Again. just speak of your mom. You do a Mary Corrigan. Mm-hmm. And so I did say that I was going to have to get you to, to tell us something interesting about your mom right now, as you do it as Mary, <laughs> because when I read it on the page, that's, all my ears can hear is you doing uh-huh. that impression of your mom.
1: Oh, um, for God's sakes, Kelly, who's looking at you? I was like a huge, huge line of hers growing up, which I actually think is so freeing. Uh, yeah. Like, they, that's that's, that's right. They really aren't looking at you. They're real, real busy worrying about themselves. But it, I took it as like, God, right. She's right. Like, no one's looking at me. Oh, for, oh, for God's sake, Kelly. Nobody's looking at you. If you want to wear the leg warmers, wear the leg warmers. <laughs> oh, um, I I
0: just the balance of your mom and of Granny is the greatest. I mean, the way that you can just swing the pendulum so far between their two descriptions and experiences is the absolute greatest.
1: Oh my God! So here's the latest. I was just with my mom last week in Philly with the girls, and uh, she she goes, I have decided that I am going to go on Shark Tank myself. And my girls are like, you are, Jamie? You're going on Shark Tank? And she's like, yes, I am. And they said, what, what, what have you invented? And she said, I am inventing a thing that will make Kevin Durant get better faster.
0: I can't I'm like, imagine what this is.
1: Because you're such a chemist. Sure. You're just in your kitchen making yes. something for all-star athletes to be able to get sure. back to the court sooner and help the Warriors win of the course. title. And she said, can you imagine if I could make something like that? I would be a millionaire. I'm like, yeah, you would, Ma, because something like that doesn't really exist. <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? Is she being serious this sincere? A little, bit, <laughs> a little bit. But she loves Shark Tank. She loves it. She can't get enough of it. She likes Pardon the Interruption on ESPN, okay,
0: PTI, sure. Oh yeah, and
1: Shark Tank. Those are her two shows. Then right. she likes to go to church. I like to go to 1115 Mass. Yep. And then she plays Bridge twice a week.
0: Yeah. I mean, look,
1: that's the building blocks of a pretty decent life. I'm not going to lie to you. I I don't hate it. She was married to an extrovert for 60 years, and she's an introvert. And so she's like, for four or five years now, she locks the house at 530. She has a little vodka on ice, just one. A lot of people I know have more than one, but I have one. But can I tell you, since she'll never listen to this because she has no idea what a podcast is. Of course. Her, like, one vodka is an entire tumbler with like four pieces of ice <laughs> and then just right to the top Georgia my Georgia said uh she doesn't have anything else in it and I said oh, yeah. oh it's just straight it's just straight and then she cuts like a little bit of the lemon rind yeah off it and sticks it in there it floats on the top and then when she's finished that in the same glass with all the like leftover huh? vodka and the lemon rind yeah she pours her white wine I said "Ma, you want me to put that in a wine glass for you oh don't be ridiculous i don't care it's all going to the same place anyway okay
0: <laughs> i love it um, so you know it. initially it was all your greenie stories that i was drawn to because like i've told you our dads are so similar but I i'm telling that. you all the mary corrigan stories have grown on me so deeply and i look forward to them just as much now yeah. uh, her <laughs> pragmatism and just I, it's so i something about it draws me um one thing we were making were our own yes lists today okay. yeah we were doing all of them we had endless like if you ever need another chapter you can borrow it what are some things you're saying yes like what are what would you put on your list like currently i loved your list by the way did we ever um, discuss that Notting hill is also my favorite movie that was uh, on your list uh, my favorite movie of all time uh, I've, I've easily seen it 70 times
1: uh have you seen about a boy yes also hugh grant also yeah. excellent
0: Uh, I like that brand of
1: humor. I like that brand of humor and dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, I bought these headphones. I bought these Bose headphones and I think they cost like several hundred dollars. Yeah.
0: I see them. They're nice.
1: Well, I must say like that is enabling this podcast deep dive and podcasts are really helping me shake loose. Like Mm -hmm. if I get stuck and I'm in my house and I'm cranky and unproductive and you know kind of riddled with a sense of looming failure sure then i say go listen to a podcast and walk around so i listen to the new yorker fiction podcast deborah treisman at she's a fiction editor at the new yorker gets somebody to pick a favorite short story of theirs that they read in the new yorker they read it and deliver it so like george saunders will read a short story by amanda july or something like that and then they talk about it after Deborah Treisman and, huh. and the writer who reads. And it's a little bit, it reminds me of grad school a little bit, you huh. know? And um, so that's really satisfying. Um, I just read Jessamyn Ward Sing, Unburied Sing. Oh, I just ordered that. You know what's a weird thing that I'm saying yes to is reading during the day. Yeah. It's so weird that that would be even remotely off limits for me. But I I remember so vividly after I had Georgia thinking you can't just sit around and read <laughs> like you, it, Edward's at work. You got to do something. Sure. And that has really persisted that sense that that's off limits or indulgent it's a waste and of time. Yep. That is just crazy town. I mean, I'm a writer. Like I, if, if anyone should be able to justify it, writers should be able to justify it. That's but field even research. still, Yeah. Even still, it's it's a new thing for me to be like, I'm going to read for like an hour. I'm going to like sit it. here in a nice comfy chair and read. So I'm saying yes to that. I'm saying yeah. yes to bread again. Yes. I was like anti-carbs for a little while. I was very skinny. Welcome back. I know. All yeah. <laughs> my clothes are like, see you later. I don't know if you're ever going to wear me again, but enjoy that bagel.
0: But bread uh, is so good. Like, I understand how you made this decision. I really do.
1: Because, bagels,
0: I mean, how many more years do, do we are... have? Yeah. I know. You know, I know. just don't we want to eat the bread?
1: Yes, and also I was thinking about, like, mind share. Like, you know, I weigh 152 pounds. And what if I just said, like, so be it. So that's, that's what it, it is.
0: That's is how it is.
1: And forever. I took, took back the mind share. I was yes. like, I could like, make a movie with the amount of time i've devoted to like do i care i care i definitely care i should get a trainer maybe i shouldn't get a trainer training trainer is expensive if you need a trainer you're not really into working out maybe oh, i should my. do like club volleyball no yeah. people who play volleyball they're not skinny i mean you know looney tunes Looney, looney tunes. tunes. the cycle yeah. yeah um yeah so am i saying yes to those are good mm-hmm i like those Music, always music. Music mm-hmm. is the
0: answer. Yeah. I've had a couple of questions from some girls in our book club. This is from Trisha White. I think it's, it's either prebe or Preeby. She said this. In Chapter 4, you wrote, I wish everyone would say, not I'm sorry, but I know, which is beautiful. And she said, on one hand, that's the stuff of the soul. On the other hand, there's nothing more demeaning than a person who says, I know, when they really have no idea. Uh-huh. So what do we say instead of I'm sorry to someone who's been through something horrific when we haven't walked that same path? That's a good question.
1: Well, here's just a thought. I mean, there there's some paths that are very, very specific. But if you were to like roll it up to the general category in which it lives, that item that you're not able to relate to, you there's always the meta category that it's in that you definitely can relate to. So like, for instance, if Georgia says that she uh, was not invited to something, I mean that I could relate to directly, but let's say like she, she came home and told me this funny story once when she was really young about how this girl in her class said something and everyone laughed. And then like the next day she tried to say something very similar and nobody laughed. Okay. Okay. And So I couldn't in that moment say, I know, I know exactly what that is, but I certainly know, um, what it feels like to feel that something is unjust. Mm. I mean, I certainly know what it feels like when things feel unfair. Sure. I certainly know what it feels like when you're kind of grasping at straws in terms of like how to express yourself and you're not able to find your lane. Mm. I, I know what it feels like to feel like you weren't recognized for some small contribution. Um, so there might be more ways to know what someone's experiencing than just to have experienced the identical thing. Mm. That's good. Um, but if, if it is something really specific, I think you're so right to be careful not mm. to overstate your experience mm-hmm. in any way. Um, in which case fall to tell me more. Mm. And I would just let him say great, all. everything point. I want to say, like what else go on? Tell me yeah, more. Like, that's a great I, point. Yeah. That comes alongside and says,
0: I'm here to hear anything you yeah. want to say about it, um, without yeah, and, trying to patch it up.
1: And I'm sorry is so, um, I mean, it's a lot, it's certainly a lovely thing to say. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to over, Chastise it, but it is full of pity, yeah. and and pity is not as wonderful as companionship,
0: Good. and
1: pity can kind of make you feel less than. Like yeah. a, a huge person in my life who says, "I know," is Arielle, so my friend who's a therapist, who when I bring her my s- stories on Tuesday mornings when we walk, she could easily like diagnose me and t- therapize t- you. She probably doesn't even need to hear the end of a sentence before she knows, like, you're more or less generally what I'm going to say to her. And she never says, oh, you shouldn't say that, or don't, oh, you don't feel that way, or she's going to be fine, or don't worry. Like, she doesn't say that. She says, I know. Oh, my God, I I know. And the fact that she knows that she has that problem, that she has that worry, that she has that snag, that same thing that I have, is just, like, so... Um, it's such a huge relief. It is. And it's kind of empowering. It's like she's a really smart woman who is also like professionally an expert in these matters. And still she knows what I'm feeling like even if I, quote-unquote, shouldn't be feeling that way. Absolutely. It's not that anything gets solved
0: or resolved or fixed or any of it, but just having that, like, me too thing right in the middle of it, it it takes a lot of its power away almost.
1: Yeah, and no Uh, waving it away. Like, no, 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 no. the the whole, like, oh, don't worry about that. Sure. I hate that. Don't ever (sighs) say that to me.
0: Uh, I do that to my kids sometimes. And even as it's coming out of my mouth, I can't get it back in. And I I just want to... That is so not helpful. So um,
1: not helpful. It's, it makes it feel stupid.
0: It does. Um, and unseen and unheard. Yeah. And it matters to them that day. It maybe, it maybe won't even matter to them the next day. Right. But just being in it that morning, that I learned that. You tell me more taught me a lot about that. You know, I use that trick all the time. Um, one of our readers is Beth Britton. And she said, first, thank you, Kelly, for being with the struggles of parenting, dealing with the loss of loved ones in daily life. Um, how do you remember the lessons you've learned and that is the moment that my well-earned my my hard-fought wisdom sometimes f- slips through my fingers and i just go <laughs> into like primal you know totally. primal mode. Totally. Yeah.
1: Totally. Totally. I mean i don't i'm not sure like what I, what kind of grade i would give myself for remembering mm. this in, in in when i'm in the fight. I mean i might give myself like a 3 out of 10 yeah, like same. a d. So um but i will say that a huge uh residual effect of writing is that you have stayed with an idea longer than a tip, typically a person would, because you've thought about it, you've kind of uh, socialized it to get reactions. Like even if you're unaware you're doing it, you're you're bringing up something that you're thinking about writing about, whether you're conscious of it or not, and you're collecting stories and you're comparing notes with people you respect. And then you're working it through on the page and then you're editing it and then you're discussing it with an editor and then you're revising it. And that's a lot of time to spend with an idea. Right. And the gift of that is that you really internalize it in a way that you wouldn't if you were just, um, you know, casually interacting with an idea. That's a great point. kind of like catch it. That's so true. By the end, by the time
0: a book is released and it's been on its tour for a minute, You've touched every word in it 175 times. So yeah, it's a good way to become a learner of your own um, ideas. Great stories are powerful, right? That's why I love this podcast. We get to hear people from all walks of life talking about their obstacles and their wins. And you know another place we get to do that? The Jen Hatmaker Book Club. And I want you to join today. Because if you love this podcast, you're going to love the book club. Here's the deal. Each month, we'll dive into a fantastic book. And we read all kinds of stuff. Fiction, memoirs, self-help, all of it. Every single book is something I have read and loved. And I just know you will too. After you sign up, every month, I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats. Plus, your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like reading plans, weekly summaries, discussion questions, plus you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can connect with me and all your fellow members, and there's a monthly Facebook live chat session with me and sometimes some surprise guests. Sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters, which is always delightful. Plus, we do some cool stuff with the book's author. They curate these awesome Spotify playlists just for us. Plus, I record a podcast with the author or another special guest, and we talk about the book. It is an incredible way to cap it all off. And you know what makes a book club great? The people. This community is the kindest, most supportive group you can possibly imagine. They have definitely been saving my life in 2020 join us. So sign up today at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. So join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. One more question from a reader and then we'll wrap it up. Um, her name is Jamie Kimmy. She said, I always love the section in Oprah Magazine where she asks the person about books that changed or shaped their life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, do you have a couple of those? Do you have, what, what would you name a book or two that you would say? So, I really went to this one.
1: So I, uh, I really love and respect Marilyn Robinson. Mm-hmm. She wrote Gilead home, Lila housekeeping. She won a Pulitzer for Gilead in 2002. She also writes a ton of nonfiction. That's so complex that I can just barely really hold on. I mean, it's like barefoot water skiing. Like you are like, Uh (laughs) you got to be freaking focused. You know, you got to have just the right amount of caffeine in you and no distractions. It's really heady, but it's very carefully built these arguments Mm -hmm. that she's putting together. She's very uh, well-trained and she's a professor. And, but her fiction, I think is like, for instance, Lila came out at the same time as um, Hillbilly Elegy. Oh yeah, and a lot of people are talking about hillbillyology, and and I kept saying like if you want to feel poverty, mm. read Lila. Yeah, it will take you so much further. It, it's mm. like if you want to experience it as close as you can without actually being hungry yourself, read Lila, mm. not hillbillyology. Hillbillyology is once removed. This is right. and this is that fiction, nonfiction thing coming up again. That's right. 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 Hillbillyology is right. nonfiction, and Lila is a novel, but it's. It's almost more true. It's yeah. so beautiful, and I, I just think she's a master. So she she's affected me. And then on the other end of the spectrum, people like Anne Lamott have affected me a lot because they. When I was a, I have a master's in English literature, and with the kind of books you read when you're in a program like that, are Fitzgerald and Wallace sure. Stegner stuff. That's you know, I mean, let's be honest, it's probably beyond my IQ. <laughs> <laughs> like I can read it, but I, if I could write it, I wouldn't be writing what I'm writing. And, and then, and so I came out of that thinking, oh, well, the only way that I can live a life of books is to teach. Sure. And then I read Anne Lamott operating yeah. instruction. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. There's like a whole other category yeah. of book out there that I love, that I yeah. find useful and meaningful and memorable uh, and affecting and maybe this is where I could live. Yeah. And, and so that was in terms of impacting my life, discovering operating instructions as a single woman who didn't know one thing yeah. about raising a baby or addiction. Sure. I thought, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this is a whole field that I could play on too.
0: She laid some really important pavement for me too. Mm-hmm. I just had never encountered somebody writing like she wrote well she's special i mean she's yeah. she operates her own she's in her own zip code but yeah. i dedicated i've got a book coming out next year i dedicated a whole portion of my intro to her
1: oh, because you
0: did. that she mattered so much to me. She just, um, it was an example. She she set an example for me that I didn't know was possible. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's what great writers do. I mean, I'm my brain, even if it doesn't know it's doing, it is always mining this stuff when I'm reading other people's work and yeah. seeing how they turn a phrase and, um, how unafraid they are in their writing. That's always so inspiring to me. And she's definitely one of those. You are too. It's this beautiful combination of both heart and gift you know because some some people write heart heart things they're i don't know how to say this nicely they're just not good writers right like they're writing because they have a story to tell and so the story is the lead character and the writing yeah, yeah, is just yeah. the only vehicle to get it there but you do both and that is my absolute favorite okay quick three last like rapid fire just top of your head hit me uh, we shared a Spotify playlist for our book club friends for this uh-huh. month for your book club. It's super great. So what's your um, current like favorite summer song? You're, you got one yet? I mean, summer just started to
1: I taste tequila, Hi. baby, I still see a cutting up the floor in sorority t-shirt. The same one we wore when we <laughs> were sky high in Colorado. Do you know that song? Uh, I am shocked that
0: you do. I Really? I am I'm shook right now that you knew uh, all those lyrics.
1: Um, it's because my daughter, Georgia, introduced it to me. And so, uh-huh. so we were driving. We were on a road trip. And we were like singing it. Every time we got in the car, we put it back on and sang it. So it, it, I like it because it reminds me of her. I like it because I like tequila. And I think it's like the only country song that I know.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay that's That feels more true and yeah. more right. I have old school Willie Nelson on repeat right now. Like old school. Oh, yeah. That to me just well, screams on summer. My
1: mind. Willie Nelson, Georgia on my mind, like all day me. long. All day long. That's I love that jam. Okay, last. Um,
0: what, what what are the books on your nightstand right now? Like what are your summer books? Or summer well, books? It
1: just maybe maybe you do one of the two. Did you I like it? By the sing buried sing? I did. I thought it was really good. I'm not super into magical realism and there are a couple ghosts in there. I mean, I loved Lincoln and the Bardo, loved it beyond loving it. So I, I can do ghosts yeah, under yeah. the right circumstances. But, um, but now Edward, my okay. husband, has assigned us all uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Harari, who's the guy who wrote oh. *Sapiens*. So right. we all, he has read this it. This is your and summer assignment. It. Yes, so that we're uh-huh. going to bond as a family over oh. this super heady book about like agriculture in the 21st century and AI and whatever. So. Check in with me at the end of the summer and I'll tell you everything you need to know so you don't have to read this book. That is so cute to me. This sounds, although a very different path than the one that I would take, the way that
0: I used to do when my kids were younger at the beginning of every summer. Uh like, Here's what we're going to do to make our minds sparkle Mm-hmm. Um, this is how we're going to evolve as human beings this summer together. Um, these are our rules and standards. Um, these are, these are our reading times that are going to be uh, like unimpeachable and, and none of it. I mean, it would last however hours. long. Yeah. 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 Not even, I mean, you know, this is how it always is. Cause every summer I'd start that engine again.
1: No, knowing It
0: was not going to work, but I, I believe that it could. <laughs> I
1: know. I know. I know. I know.
0: Okay. Hey, thank you for everything, for being just as great um, as people hope you are, I was telling the book club girls that you're the same in Ah, person and writing it's, that's good. That's, that's, and sometimes that's not true for everyone. And you are exactly who people think you are. And that is, it's such a gift. And I was, it's so fun to kick off the book club with your book. I'm happy that you are book number one. You will always be OG. Yeah, um, always just absolutely always and so um, thanks for this too because this yes. is just like a dedicated podcast for my book club they feel really special that you have given them an, an hour of your time and I do too
1: uh, I love you and I'm so Same. happy to talk to you and Same. I'll see you soon June
0: alright sis glad bye. to see your face bye